Welcome to the Anchor Church Podcast. We are so glad you're here. For more content and upcoming events, visit anchorchurchcsra.com. Turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Jonah. We're in our third week in the book of Jonah. We're knocking out the whole book of Jonah in July. We didn't plan the alliteration there, but it is what it is. So Jonah in July, there we have it. But really the, the focus of Jonah has been the relentless love of God. And that's what we want everyone at Anchor to understand. Like your starting place with God, no matter how close you are with God or no matter how far apart you are from God in this moment, he loves you. Like that's, that's square one, <laughs> that's default. He loves you so much. You are loved for God so loved the world that he sent his son. And so tonight's message title, if you're a note taker, you wanna write that title right at the top, it's called New Mercies, New Mercies. Because here's the truth about God, ready? We're gonna put it on the screen. God desires that we not only hear the gospel, that we not only believe the gospel, but that we, and I want you to focus on this word for tonight's sermon, to live the gospel. He doesn't just want you to hear it. He doesn't just want you to believe it. Hearing and believing is important. (laughs) Romans 10, right? But he wants you to live it out. And if you've been hanging out around Anchor for any length of time, you've heard this sort of talk before, but we find that in chapter three of Jonah. Because what we've seen is Jonah run from God. He received revelation from God. He said, no thanks God, I'm gonna do my own plan. Chapter one, he makes a big mess. Anybody in the room ever made a big mess before because you didn't do what God said? Yeah, yeah, me too, Kurt. Me too. I think we all have, right? We've all made messes before, and we're scared to go to God after that because we go, oh, man, I'm in trouble. And here's the thing about God. He desires to give every person in this room a second chance. A second chance. And if we're really honest, it's like, well, I mean, I've, I've had like, 500,000 chances. But when we say second chance, we mean like a new heart, a new life, a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And so really just four encouragements tonight, if you're tracking with me in your notes, um, just writing these points down, they're really four encouragements for living out the gospel. I want to help you live out the gospel in your life. Yes, accept the gospel is true. Give your life and heart to Christ. Man, we want that for every person in this room. Everyone needs an anchor, and Jesus is available tonight to be your anchor. We're going to talk more about that in a little bit. But here's our first insight tonight. Ready? And, you, and by the way, if you don't have pen and paper, you can pull out your phone. Please feel free to pull out your phone and type this on notepad. You can type that down. I find that helps me engage um, whenever I'm listening to someone else preach. So here we go. The first point is this. Use your second chance as an opportunity for what? One more time. Obedience, good. I just want to to make sure we all read that. There we go. Use your second chance as an opportunity for obedience, because that's what the second chance is meant for. Let's dive into God's word together. Jonah chapter 3, and let's dive into verse 1 here. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. All right, so it's already come to Jonah. This is how we started out. This is what you call a recapitulation, if you want to get fancy, but it just means it's... To make it a little more simple, it's kind of like a boomerang. Been tossed out, Jonah messed up, he repented inside the belly of the fish, and now we're back to square one. All right, Jonah, here's your second chance. A second time, verse two, get up. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach the message that I tell you. 
All right, so there we have it. So verses one and two. So a second time, you'll want to underline that in your copy of God's Word. And by the way, we're totally cool with that. You got a Bible in your lap, man, carve that thing up. Brackets, underline. When I was, uh, when, when Asher was little, he called the bracket staples. I'll never forget that. He said, Daddy, why are there staples in your Bible? Somebody stapled my Bible? And he was talking about the little brackets. So yeah, right in it. I mean, I promise you God's not mad about that, okay? Like, I know we have strong feelings about, about that sometimes, um, especially in previous generations, but... Um, uh, but God, God wants you to engage his word. So underline second time because our God is a God of second chances. You might even write that in there. In fact, if you're a Christian, your life is a second chance, an opportunity to operate solely in God's mercy and grace. That's what life is all about as a Christian. And Jonah receives the same exhortation that all of us have tonight. We don't want to fall into the danger of making the Bible all about us. Who is the book of of Jonah really about? Can we just identify that tonight? This is, this is feedback, so you can tell them. Who is, who is the book of, is it really about Jonah? Who is it ultimately about? God. It is about the Lord. And sometimes we get caught, well, it's named Jonah. It ought to be all about Jonah. And yeah, Jonah's name occurs 36 times, but, but God's name occurs many more. Actually, I'm sorry, God's name occurs 36 times. Jonah only occurs about 18 times. And then the fish is only mentioned three times, but somehow he gets a lot of front stage as well. <laughs> and so the book of Jonah is about God. The Bible is about our Lord, not just about us. But we do find ourselves in the story, don't we? Because God says the same thing to us. He says, get up, Christian. Go. Go, go to the cities. Go, go to where people are. And do what? Proclaim. Preach the message that I tell you, we don't have to invent a message. He gives us the message. We just have to be faithful to communicate it. So God tells us what to do. Get up, go. We are a sent people. That is, that is who the church is. We are sent out. We're sent ones. We're about to go through the whole book of Acts, friends. Buckle up. We're going to talk a lot about sent. Could have easily named that series coming up, sent because the early church was sent in the power of the Holy Spirit to go and turn the world upside down. And that's what we want to see in Columbia County. Because all I heard before I moved here to plant a church was, oh, Columbia County's fine. 155,000 people, cybersecurity capital of the world now, people flocking here from all over. About half the people you meet, I, I, I play music out at a lot of different places and I meet a lot of new people. And over half the people I meet, they're not from here. It's, it's rare for me to meet someone, oh yeah, I'm from Evans, or oh yeah, I'm, I'm from Martinez. No, I'm from Pittsburgh. I'm from California. I just moved here two weeks ago. What's there to do here? Yeah, so <laughs> these are the kind of conversations I have. Um, and so, guys, God tells us what to do, where to go. Where do we go? To people that don't know God. That's where we go. And then what to say, the message that I tell you. You know, um, God speaks to us in a variety of ways, but there's a primary way God speaks. And here's how we love for God to speak to us. Ready? I'm going to throw a picture up here. Here's how we love for God to speak to us. Picture's coming, I promise. It's coming. There we go. All right. This is how we love. What you're looking at is a bunch of breadcrumbs, okay? We're going to talk about breadcrumbs for a moment. And we love all the breadcrumbs to be in one pile. And what's even better... Let me, let me just kind of pick on the Christians in the room for a moment. Um, we love for all the breadcrumbs to especially be in a spoon and to be fed to us. 
We want God to spoon feed us all the stuff at one time and say, God, just give me, give me the blueprint. Give me the whole user manual. That's what I need. And what God says in response is this next picture. He said, no, this is what you need. You need a sovereignly arranged breadcrumb trail. And you're going to go piece by piece by piece by piece. Why? Because we can't handle the pile. We can't handle the blueprint. If God gives Brandon Henson the blueprint, he's going to screw it up, I promise you. Okay? Guaranteed, 100%. No, he gives it to us in a trail like this. And this is, this is so powerful when we think about this because we so desperately want the blueprint, we can't handle it. We want all the steps at once. But you know what happens when we receive instruction like this? It galvanizes our faith. What does galvanize mean? It means to energize. It means to spur you on. Because what that does is it creates a dependence on God. We must come to God each and every day. God, I'm just, I'm, I'm just hungry for the next crumb, Lord. Show me the next piece of the puzzle. All I need is you. All I need is your word. And as you pursue God in his word, and as you obey his word, use your second chance as an opportunity for obedience. He will give you each next breadcrumb, and you will be amazed in your life and go, oh my goodness, look at, look at where God's brought me from. Look at the journey that he has me on, and you will be amazed. And many of you are nodding tonight because you know, because your life's a testimony of that. You know where God brought you from. He brought you out of the belly of that fish, right? He gave you new life. He gave you a fresh start. And it strengthens our faith, our, our faith as well by creating a deeper dependence. We're longing for every word, attentive to every detail. Let's move on to verse 3 tonight. Verse 3, Jonah chapter 3, verse 3. Jonah, here's the good news, ready? Jonah got up. Now, he got up last time. It didn't go so well. He got, he got up and disobeyed. But what does he do this time? He got up and went to Nineveh. According to the Lord's command, that's what you want to see in the Old Testament. You don't see it all the time. You see it not a lot of the time. But he went according to the Lord's command, so we celebrate that. And so, you know, last time, like we said, Jonah used his freedom, and I don't want you to miss this tonight. Sometimes we can use our freedom as well, just like Jonah, as an opportunity for sin instead of an opportunity for obedience. Let's look at a couple of other uh, scriptures to kind of illustrate this. Galatians 5.13 says, for you are called to be free. That's your destiny. It's my destiny. It's what God wants for us, to be free from sin. Brothers and sisters, don't use this freedom as an opportunity for what? The flesh. But serve one another through love. 2 John 1, 6 is very similar. And this is love, that we walk in obedience according to his commands. As you have heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk in love. So friends, love and obedience intimately connected. The foundation for obedience, if you're, if you're, if you're struggling with this and you're like, man, what is, I'm just missing piece of the puzzle that I don't have. Like obedience has just been really tough for me lately. I've just been so disobedient. Pray to God tonight and ask him to cultivate a deep love for him. Because when we're disobedient, and I'm speaking from experience, guys, I'm not speaking to somebody that's like on, I know I'm like physically elevated so everybody can see, but like I am, I am, I am right there with you. Like I have so many times just loved other things more than God. I, I say I love the Lord, 
But then what is idolatry at its core? It's when we take things that aren't God, never meant to be God, we put them in the place of God. And the sweetest things in life can do this. Some of the best gifts in life can do this. Those gifts can become idols. Happens all the time. And so we need a love that's not rooted in selfishness, our own wants and desires, but entirely rooted in Jesus. And so that's what God has for us. Here's the second encouragement tonight. Write this down. Don't underestimate, because we do this all the time. Don't underestimate who will surrender to God. It's one of my biggest passions in evangelism, because I think sometimes we think about a certain person in our life, or we think about someone who God has given us a relationship with. Think about a neighbor, a coworker, a family member. And we just, we so underestimate their surrender to the Lord. Yes, maybe currently they're not tracking with God's ways, but God will move. He promises this. Let's, let's look at uh, the, the, the rest of verse 3, and let's keep on going. Now, Nineveh, you've heard this before if you were here other weeks. Nineveh was an extremely great city. I mean, think about I mean, the capital, for sure, of the Assyrian Empire, but really the greatest city in the world. I mean, in the, in the conceived world, people were like, yeah, Nineveh's it. Think about like a New York City. Massive. Extremely great city. A three-day walk. This means to walk around the city would take you an entire three days. Not a three-day three -day walk to get there but three days to, to check out the landscape. Jonah set out on the first day of his walk in the city and proclaimed, so he's proclaiming, this is good, in 40 days, Nineveh will be demolished. Now, I know we look at that and we go, dang, Jonah, all right, landed, landed on kind of thick. But God told him to do that in chapter one. This is the message that God first gave him. Then the next next time in chapter three, he says, I'll, I'll tell you what to say when you get there, <laughs> Okay. And so he's proclaiming God's judgment. And I know what 21st century Christians are thinking when we look at a verse like this. We go, ooh, man, that's a little harsh, bro. Right? But this, first of all, whenever we have these moments in the Bible, this is a good Bible study tool for all of us this evening. This is not the transcript of the message, okay? This is like the, this is like the bare bones. This is the brass tacks. But... You realize that we can communicate an honest message about the judgment of the Lord and about sin in a loving way, in the right approach, to where people can tell that you genuinely care about them. I promise you, you can. And usually the problem isn't with the message, usually the problem is with the approach. Okay, because people expect the church to throw rocks. People expect the church to paint in you know, these white signs, blood red letters, and you know, turn or burn kind of stuff on the street corner and all that. That's a problem with approach, okay? The truth of that message is very true. That if, if we do not turn to the Lord, we will receive eternal punishment. That, I mean, we, God is just. He's righteous. He will judge sin in a real place called hell. And so we got to tell people about that. But it's about the approach, guys. Because what did I say a minute ago? Our starting place with God is what? Love. So what is the world's starting place with us? What is your coworker's starting place with you? What's your neighbor's starting place with you? What's that person that flipped you off in traffic the other day? What's their starting place with you? Even that person like Jonah with Nineveh that you would never think about 
walking up to them and sharing a message of God's love to them. Like, you wouldn't want to do that because you really don't like them. They're kind of your enemy. Would we love them in that same way? But the thesis of his sermon is this. Nineveh, you're in danger. You're in danger. There's an opportunity to turn from your sin and receive the grace and compassion from God. And Jonah knew about the grace and compassion of God. We're going to talk about that next week. Jonah knew the character of God, and he no doubt proclaimed it. Demolished in the CSB uh, translation I'm preaching from. If you see the, the word demolished in, in, in the text, every time you see the word demolished, normally in the Old Testament, it's just a little bonus note here, um, usually the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah are associated with demolished. There's many other verses I could take you to. I'm going to save us some time, but just you could even do like a little Google search on that demolished Old Testament word and just look at it. And God's usually referring to Sodom and Gomorrah. So what's the point? Hey, Nineveh, you heard of that Sodom and Gomorrah city where sulfur came down and fire? Yeah, that's going to be you guys if you don't turn to Yahweh, the one true God. So what, so what happened? Look at the response in verse 5. This is amazing. The unthinkable happened. Then the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast, dressed in sackcloth, from the greatest of them to the least. We have to camp out here for a moment and again, just admit honestly that if God tells us to get up and go to that person, to that place, that time, and that way, we are not fully convinced that it will make a difference. We're not even convinced half the time in prayer that, that, that our prayers make a difference. You want to know how I know? Because we would have so many more holes in the kneecaps of blue jeans in the room that would be so much more worn out if we felt like actually getting on my knees and seeking the Lord in prayer and petitioning heaven for the salvation of others, if I really felt like that would make a huge difference, it would show up. And here's the litmus test for this. All right, if you're not tracking with me, here's the litmus test. If you knew your neighbor, coworker, family member, your spouse, your child, your cousin, the mom at the park you always see when you take your kids there, the waitress at the restaurant that you frequent, whoever that person is who you know is disconnected from the Lord, if you knew right now that they would 100% place their faith in Jesus, if you had that knowledge right now, all you, all you gotta do is deliver the message, 100%, God tells you they're coming to Christ right now. Where, where are you going to be if you call yourself a Christian? In front of them, delivering the message. I bet you would. I know I would. But because we don't have that 100% knowledge all the time, right, we kind of doubt it. We underestimate the difference that we can make because we're down on ourselves, because we know, we know our imperfections. We know our fears, okay? And guess what? God knows that too. And here's the good news. God will use you even with all of that. But here's what I'm calling us to tonight. I'm not here to beat us up. I'm here to encourage you and to challenge you that we proclaim like we know that certainty. Here's the certainty that we know 100% because of the very word of God, that God will move. That when you open your mouth and proclaim the gospel, when you proclaim the love of Christ for someone, when you tell them how they can, through the cross, be forgiven of their sins, receive everlasting life, but receive an abundant life here and now, and be reconciled back to God, that when, that when you do that, God will move. God, God does not fail to move. 
And not that we like arm wrestle God into moving. Oh, well, God, you have to move because I did my thing. No, no, no. God desires to move. Second Peter 3, 9. He desires that all would turn and repent. It's in there. Second Peter 3, 9. Check it out sometime. This is the heart of God. He wants everyone to turn. But what's the problem? Why doesn't it happen 100% of the time? Because Jesus said there's a few different kinds of hearts floating around. There's hearts that are like hard soil impenetrable, like the asphalt or concrete outside. The seed of the word of God falls upon that surface. It bounces right off. So we've got hard hearts. We've got shallow hearts where the seed of God's word uh, falls upon that heart. And for a little while, there's some excitement, but quickly the sun scorches that little sprout away because there's no depth of root. And then Jesus talks about this other kind of heart. It's a very weedy heart. It's full of thorns, weeds. It's a lot of overgrowth in there of sin. And what happens is the worries and anxieties of the world choke out any of this that makes it in to the heart. But then there's this other kind of heart. The last, the fourth, it's good soil. And some seed falls upon the good soil. And we don't always know the hearts of who we're speaking to, but that is not our responsibility, friends. Our responsibility is to cast that seed. And God is counting on us to do that. Yes, God will do it with or without you or I, okay? But he delights in working through mankind. This is his plan. We're his worksmanship, prepared beforehand to do these good works, to lead people to Christ. So let's not underestimate what God can do. Can I give you Romans 1.16 for a moment? Can we just look at that? For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, the apostle Paul says, because, why not, Paul? It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. So where's the power, friends? It's in the gospel. The power is in the message. Yes, we are empowered to go and share that message, but it's not riding on us and our abilities. But God is asking us to be faithful and obedient. And he will do that work. The word will do the work, friends. Here's the third encouragement tonight. Let's move on. We're called to take drastic action to live out our repentance. And this could be the most important point you hear tonight. Friends, we've got to take drastic action to live out your repentance. Because there's some, there's some in the room tonight. Again, this is just, whenever I say something like this, I just want you to know my heart. I'm not, a, I'm not apologizing for what I'm saying, but I just, I know we don't, like all of us in the room, like I don't, I don't know each of you super well yet. We're still kind of new to each other. And so I just want you to know my heart. I'll share my heart for a moment. Um, it's, it's never to beat up on you, but I am, I am not here to just give you a feel-good message. I want to be honest with you. If I'm not honest with you, then I have failed. Then I am in sin, and I need to go repent, and I dare not step up here to preach. And so here's the honest truth. There's some in the room here tonight your ministry right now has a, has a tight lid on it, and God wants to do so much through you, but there's still sin that you have not repented of. And I'm inviting you tonight to turn from it. And this, is, this is true for Christians. Like, like you can be saved, but still, but still just have this sin that's just dominating you. I say sometimes, you know, it eats your lunch. You know, it's like a bully that shows up at the school and just takes your lunch money. You know, it just follows you around. The enemy's a jerk like that. And he knows what makes you tick. And, and it's just like, there's just, 
there's some repentance that needs to take place, and we're going to have an invitation time in a little bit. This is, this is the time and place to do that tonight. Because God wants to use every one of you in the room for his glory. And one of my passions as a pastor, it isn't just to preach the word, it isn't just to lead the church, but it's also to empower people for ministry. I love it. I love watching each and every one of you who will step up and say, I'm ready. I'm ready to get my hands dirty. I'm, I'm ready to get out there on mission, tell people about Jesus, lead them closer. Like I'm, like, I'm ready for ministry. I'm ready to rock and roll. I love to help people take their next steps in that. I love to fan to flame what God is doing. Kindle afresh, as the older translation says in 2 Timothy, to kindle afresh that gift. And so we got to take some drastic action, friends. Let's read the next few verses together, Jonah 3 through 6, because the Ninevites were taking drastic action. I mean, we're seeing the unthinkable go on here. When word reached the king of Nineveh, this is the king of Nineveh, all right? Don't miss that. He got up from his throne, took off his royal robe, which is a big deal, he puts on sackcloth and he sits in ashes. Very unusual for the king of Nineveh. Okay? This is, this is loaded. This is not something you'd see every day. Clearly a work of God. Again, people underestimated, Jonah underestimated that this would happen. He knew the character of God. We see that in chapter four next week. But he never thought the king would do this. Verse seven Then the king issued a decree in Nineveh. Listen, listen to this decree. By order of the king and his nobles, no person or animal, herd or flock, is to taste anything at all. Does that sound like business as usual? Friends, here's the truth. Repentance is never business as usual. Something's got to change. Something's got to break. Metanoia is that New Testament word. It's, it's a change of mind. It's a it's a recalibration. You, you ever need to recalibrate something? It's grossly inaccurate. It's, it's missing the mark, and you, and, and you recalibrate it to make it accurate. You realign it. Your car, you take it to get a wheel alignment. Okay? Technology nerds in the room, you sync your phone, right? You sync apps to, to connect well with, with, with the ultimate communication that has to get to that app to make it work. You do software updates. I mean, friends, I could go on and on about different illustrations, but here's the deal. We need that very same thing to happen in our hearts. And this is grossly ironic. You know why? With all this happening, sackcloth and ashes, the king's edict in verse 7, verse 8. Let's, let's, let's go and read these next two verses Furthermore, people and animals must, must be covered with sackcloth. Did you hear that? The animals are getting in on the action. They're in sackcloth and ashes. This is drastic. Everyone must call out earnestly to God. And this is a picture of repentance. God is working in the Assyrians. And the Israelites reading this, because the Old Testament, when we read the Old Testament, it's like reading Israel's mail. That's, that's how we have to think about it first. We're, we're reading a, this book of Jonah, with, like Israelites would have first read this, and they were embarrassed. That this, like, God's been, God's been begging, like, just pleading with them. Guys, you, I, would, I would bless you. I want to use you. I have this great plan. Remember the covenant? And, and the covenant goes all the way back to Abraham and Jacob and Isaac and this, this great and glorious covenant. I'm calling you guys back. Quit messing around with idols. Come back. Turn to me. He's said this to Israel time after time after time. It's like what the whole left side of your Bible is about pretty much. 
It's just God calling out to his people, saving his people. His people mess up again. He saves them again. He says, guys, come back. You're off track. You, you, you need a realignment. And what happens? Nineveh does what Israel should have done a long time ago. And they would have read this and been very put off. And Jonah, no doubt, felt the same way. So, Israel not turning from their sin, refusing to mourn. And this is the very nation, don't miss this too, just history-wise. 50 years later, this nation that's repenting and turning to Yahweh is going to take Israel into captivity. That's even more ironic. This is the nation that will defeat them later. So, we took a minute to talk about the irony. Even the animals are turning. Why not Israel? The king says you must earnestly call out to God. Each must turn, last part of verse 8. Each must turn from his evil ways. That's what repent means, turn, and from his wrongdoing. Who knows? God may turn and relent. He may turn from his burning anger so that we will not perish. Let me give you a few more notes about repentance before we do our final insight. Repentance always begins with revelation. What does that mean? It means that in order to really turn from our sin, I mean, this is what's happening right now. This is why we preach the word of God every week, because we believe that our God is a revelatory God. He, he seeks to reveal himself to each and every one of us. So I'm just trying to amplify this, and I'm trying to make this word, his word, clear. And so before we repent, we have to hear from God. And so maybe you're a little hesitant to say, oh yeah, I, I hear from God all the time. I may be like, well, no, I don't think I've ever heard from the Lord. Well, yes, you have. If you've read the Bible, then you have. Then yes, yes, I hear from God regularly. I'm not sure I'm always listening, but he's, he's, he says a lot. I mean, he's given us a whole lot. So repentance always begins with revelation, but what, what about after that? Repentance is carried by faith. What does that mean? Well, faith is a trust. If you are receiving revelation from God, but you don't trust the revelation, there's no way you're going to turn, right? Is this making sense? You receive the revelation, but then there has to be a faith. Like there has to be this, this belief that is going to change. Okay, all right, God, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to acknowledge that, that what I'm receiving here is the truth. But not simply that, because that won't do the trick. You're not going to repent well like God wants us to if you just say, yeah, God, I know that's true. Because that happens all the time. We've got a lot of people claiming the name of Jesus who know what's true, but have not repented. Because they haven't, been, they haven't had a faith-filled repentance. But what else? Well, repentance is validated by action. And this is the most important one, guys. We've got we to do something. Please hear me tonight, not to pay God back. I heard this trash gospel growing up that said that you can pay God back. I grew up under that. All it did was place heavy chains upon me. And if that's what you've heard, I'm so sorry that that was the false gospel given to you. Let me take that yoke off of you this evening. It is nothing that you can do. It is nothing that I could do. And, and, and when I realized that, I was ruined. I was just like, God, I, found, I think I finally get it. Like, you died on the cross to accomplish what I could never do for myself. So now I could receive the revelation. Then I could place my faith in Jesus. Then I could take a step of faith validated by action. So friends, if you say you've repented from something, 
what are you doing that's different to validate the repentance? Not that you're paying God back, but you're demonstrating that you were legit. And it's convicting because I've had to go back to God and say, God, I said I repented of this, but I'm doing the same old thing. I need, I need to come back to you and repent again. And guess what? He's not going to turn you away. I know we talked about a second chance a lot. Again, we're talking about coming to faith in Christ when we say that. But guys, Jesus is not going to, like, come, come to him with whatever that is that's holding you back this evening. Just, just turn to him. And he won't turn you away. No matter what you've done, there's nothing that you've done that God cannot forgive. Nothing. Nothing will shock him. He's omniscient. That's fancy talk for knows everything. <laughs> he knows your heart. He knows my heart. He already knows. So just be honest with him. And then it's effective. Repentance is effective by emphasis. Drastic changes that redefine and transform. I, I see this most often whenever I go and play golf with my friends that actually know how to play golf. It's really embarrassing every time because I'm not good at golf. It's kind of like bowling. It's just one of those things I do, and I'm okay with stinking at it, but I just kind of have fun with it. As long as I can hit the ball, I'm pretty impressed uh, most days. <laughs> and they're always trying to fix my swing. They're always trying to tell me like, how to fix my golf swing. I don't know if you've like, ever had that talk with anybody, but like, there's like 20,000 variables to a golf swing. And I've, I've even like, watched the golf channel sometimes, just those ADD moments where you end up on the golf channel, and they're like drawing graphs, and like, this dude's like, twisting and all that. There's all these different things you can do. And guys, spiritual life is no different. There's, there's all kinds of variable changes that we need to make as we repent. And I bet whatever it is that God is calling you to walk away from, whatever idol he's calling you to smash tonight, whatever he's calling you to turn from and trust in him, he's going to help you with that. And unlike my golf swing, which still is terrible, after like a billion free golf lessons from a, from a bunch of different people at Top Golf and this golf course or whatever, unlike that, God will help you and He will fix whatever it is. Because He's the author and finisher of our faith. And it's not about our performance, it's about His perfection. And that's the truth, friends. The last point tonight, last point as we close we got to receive the results of mercy. And here's the results of mercy. Let's look at verse 10 together. This last verse in this chapter. Ready? God saw their, what's that word? We, we just talked about it. Actions, right? God saw their actions that they had turned from their evil ways. So people ask all the time, well, did Nineveh really repent? Yeah, God saw what they did. They had turned from their evil ways. And then God relented. Key word, if you're looking for another word to underline, relent. This was not simply lip service, not simply an acknowledgement of wrongdoing. And God relents. What is the last verse of Jonah? What does the last phrase of Jonah say? And he did not do it. What's that called? Mercy. It's the doctrine of mercy, friends. God not giving us what we deserve. That is mercy. Grace is a gift. God gives us grace. Here's grace. Mercy is withholding the judgment. And they go hand in hand. We, we talk about them, but they're not synonyms. I want you to realize that this evening, that they're very different, but they go together. And so he did not do it. This is mercy. He withheld what they truly deserved. Jonah under God's judgment and wrath in chapter one. Remember, he was under God's judgment and wrath. 
Faithful and true, that's what Jonah's name means. <laughs> Faithful and true was under God's wrath. Judgment of the storm, and then he was rescued from death. Nineveh, under God's judgment and wrath, before Jonah got there, and now also delivered from death. This is another theme in Jonah, being delivered from death. Delivered from the judgment and getting a second chance. That God always ideally wants us to step into patterns of obedience once we receive that second chance. And friends, here's the best news that I could give you. Jesus has accomplished that very thing for us. He has delivered us from death. You say, that doesn't make any sense. I'm going to die when I get old. This life's going to be over. How, how do you deliver us? I'm talking about spiritual death. Now, biological death, that is certain. Spiritual death, that's a separation from God. In Romans, it's one of the best books to go to to learn more about salvation. And I'm just going to close with some verses from Romans 5. It's one of my favorite chapters in all of Scripture. And I just could not help but go there as I was praying about how to wrap up this sermon this week and just to invite you to trust in Jesus tonight. Here's the truth. Some of the truest words I could possibly utter. Therefore, since we have been justified... That means made right. Since we have been justified by faith, we have, what's that next word? Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So the result of mercy is peace. That's what God wants for you. That's what having an anchor for your soul is like, is having peace. Like the world may be on fire around you, but you are safe. You are at peace. Philippians calls it a peace that passes understanding. And then, this is amazing, verse 8, chapter 5 of Romans, God proves his own love. God loved you so much he wanted to prove it. Ready? What did he do? Proved his own love for us that while we were still sinners, still messed up, still evil and wicked, still enemies of God, Christ died for us. So how much more then? Since we have now been justified by his blood, that's Jesus' blood on the cross, how much more will we be saved through him from wrath? For if, verse 10, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life? And I want you to hang on to these words, how much more? <laughs> how much more? The Bible is so full of that. And I want you to lean into something tonight. Think about how much more peace and fulfillment purpose that you have with Jesus. That's what he desires for you tonight. You may be sitting here and going, man, I don't, I don't have a relationship with God. I mean, I've got a relationship with the church. Trust me, I know what that's like. I was in church for 19 years, almost 20 years before I gave my life to Christ. I heard the facts of the gospel over and over and over again. But I didn't understand that, like I understood I was separated from God, but I didn't understand how I could be brought back. So let me make that really clear, because I just have a passion for that. You're brought back through Christ alone, through the bridge of Christ. What does that mean? It means you turn from your sin. You turn your back on sin. You say, I'm not for that anymore. The aim of my life, I'm not living for that stuff. I've seen how sin can overpromise and underdeliver in my life. Anybody else seen that? 
It has failed me time and time again. I thought all these things were going to fulfill me, all these relationships, all, all these actions, and they don't. They leave you high and dry. So I'm going to turn my back on sin, and I'm going to follow Jesus. And you can make that choice, that decision tonight. It's not a feeling, friends. It's a choice, and it's your choice. Your grandma can't make it for you. Your parents can't make it for you. Your spouse can't make it for you. It's got to be your choice. And so let me ask you a question. Do you need to turn from sin and trust in Jesus tonight? Trust in him as your Lord. That means you're going to follow him. That means you're going to do what he says. You're going to listen to his word. You're going to be, you're use your second chance for obedience. And then he can be your savior. Every sin you've ever committed, past, every sin you committed today, present, and every sin you will ever commit in the future, he will cleanse it all if you simply call out to him. This is a passionate plea tonight to call out to him. He will save you. He's a perfect savior. It's not a maybe, it's not an if he feels like it. He loves you way too much to let you stay where you are right now. He wants to take you to somewhere better. He wants to give you an abundant life. He did it for me and he can do it for you. So turn to Jesus tonight. Maybe your next step, maybe you've turned to Jesus before, but maybe your next step is that you just need a fresh start. Let's just put it that way. And you know what we tell our kids all the time in our house? So I have boys, so it's always son. Son, there's always an opportunity for a fresh start. They'll come to me, tears in their eyes, and say, Dad, Dad, can we just have a fresh start? And I've not once... Like in those moments, I just crumble because I just love them so much. And I've never once just like clenched my fist like, no, we can't have a fresh start. Are you kidding me? Like, what? No. Every time I just, oh, yes, son, you can have a fresh start. You can turn right now. And let me just say the same for you. Anyone in the room, you can have a fresh start tonight. But you got to talk to God. So that's what this time is for. We're about to have our response time. And it's not just time to sit and daydream. This is time to talk to God. This is time to, for some of you to make the most important decision of your life. To turn and trust in Jesus as your Savior. So can we pray together? Can we bow our heads? Lord, I, I pray tonight. Oh, I, just, I just know there are some in this room, Lord, that just they need to turn from their sin and trust in you and become a Christian tonight. Take that first step. Maybe they have believed the facts of the gospel, but tonight they need to embrace the Savior, embrace you. Really ask for that forgiveness that they so desperately need, knowing that Jesus will deliver. God, I pray for you to just help everyone take their next step, Lord. We believe that, that everyone has a next step. Every single person in the room there's an opportunity, Lord, to speak to their heart now in the stillness and the silence, Lord. Help us chase after you, Lord. Help us to pursue you just like you pursued us. God, your love is relentless. Help us know that your, your, your grace is deeper and wider than our sins and failures, God. We know that that's what this song is about tonight that we're closing with, that your love is greater still. 
that even though our sins were deep, your love was wider. So help us respond in whatever the ways that your spirit's leading tonight, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. For more information, visit anchorchurchcsra.com or follow us on social media at anchorchurchcsra.com.